Hey, everybody, it's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have a super quick announcement to share with all of you. Beginning in April, I'm going to be launching a series of college to career live weekend boot camps to help graduating seniors as well as juniors who are confused about what jobs or careers they might want to pursue when they graduate. So imagine going from confused to confident with at least three different career options you'd be psyched to explore by the end of day one of the boot camp. And then learning the tools, tactics, and the strategies to find those jobs by the end of day two. The boot camp is live and it's led by me over Zoom. And you can learn more about it at College to Career Academy. That's college, the number two, career dot academy. Or you can just look me up on LinkedIn and check out the featured section of my LinkedIn page. I can't imagine a better graduation gift for the college students in your life. Thanks so much for listening, and I know you're going to enjoy my next incredible guest. Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're a job seeker, or you will be later this spring, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is without question one of the top LinkedIn career coaches, but honestly, he is so much more than that. He is one of the most creative, out-of-the-box thinkers that I've come across in this space, especially for those of you who have identified your dream jobs. But before I introduce you to Austin Belsack, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's newsletter that features career advice, insights, and inspiration that you won't find anywhere else, maybe not even on Austin Belsack's feed. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my job-seeking Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated Stumptown Brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Austin Belsack, the founder of Cultivated Culture. It's a company that helps people land jobs they love, get this, without applying online. Until the fall of 2020, Austin was the Director of Partnership Development at Microsoft, where he'd worked for five years. Before joining Microsoft, Austin was the founder and chief digital strategist at Open Water Analytics, a digital marketing firm that he ran for four years as a side hustle to help small and medium-sized businesses generate qualified, cost-effective leads. Austin is also the host of a new podcast called The Dream Job System, which in its first week, its very first week on this planet, my friends, hit number nine in the Apple Podcast 
career category. Austin, I am not going to hold that against you at all. Welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I I am, Andrea. Thank you so much. That was the most generous intro I think I've ever received. So no pressure to live up to any of that. But I'm also glad you mentioned Stumptown because when I was applying for my jobs originally, I think on my resume for Google, Microsoft, and Twitter, I mentioned Stumptown Coffee being one of my faves. So you have done your research or we have very similar tastes or maybe both. I don't know. But thank you for having me. It is all of the above. (laughs) The last job that I had before I jumped into the unknown and started out as a podcaster and an entrepreneur, I worked for a global humanitarian and development organization called Mercy Corps, whose global headquarters, Austin, was in Portland, Oregon, (laughs) where Stumptown originates. And so I got to know Hairbender and all the great brews that they have there. Did you have a favorite or do you have a favorite? I just went for the cold brew and and it was simple and it got the job done. And that was that was my go to. All right. Awesome. (laughs) Getting the job done. That is half of why we love coffee so much. Mm -hmm. I want you to know, Austin, that you first came across my radar screen. I should say came across my feed about eight months ago. And in all honesty, we are doing this interview, by the way, in January of 2021. You are one of the only LinkedIn creators whose content I read and said, yes, thank God. There is someone out there who is actually advising people on their careers who isn't just regurgitating the same tired platitudes about how to break through and land a job they love. Your content continues to be absolute gold. It is fresh. It is well-written. And most importantly, you've proven hundreds, if not thousands of times that it works. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I think it really stems from my journey as a job seeker, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about. But I got so frustrated with exactly what you mentioned. I would go on LinkedIn or read a blog post or talk to somebody. And it would just be more of the same. It was the same advice that didn't seem to work for me. And it was a lot of it was a lot of basically people telling me what to do, but not really telling me how to do it. And it left me with a lot of questions. It left me feeling confused. And so when I started this business, Cultivated Culture, my whole goal was to be the antithesis of that. Like I wanted to make sure that if I if I shared something with somebody, if I gave them a piece of advice or told them to go do something, that they one, understood why they were doing it. And two, they knew exactly what to do. They had the step-by-step breakdown. So that's been at the core of all the content that I write and you know all of the things that we do at Cultivated Culture. So I'm glad it's landing that way. That makes me feel good. But yes, th- thank you so much for mentioning it. Absolutely. Well, before we get into some of the step-by-step processes, processes that you have developed in your dream job system, I'd like to lift the hood a little bit on the Ferrari that is Austin Belsack mm-hmm. and dig a little deeper on your process, because time for coffee isn't just about coffee. It's about informational interviews. It's about careers, 
And ever since the coronavirus, when we haven't been able to have those in-person informational interviews that I know you had when you started developing your system, I thought we could get into the directions that we couldn't have predicted back when we were in college. So let's start by flashing back to when you were in college. You went to Wake Forest in North Carolina and you didn't major in career counseling. (laughs) You didn't major in engineering. You didn't major in marketing. You majored in biology. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree, Austin, when you graduated? No, I did not have a clue. And I think that it's important to maybe even rewind a little bit further. I think one of the biggest frustrations that I saw and I know a lot of other people struggle with is this thing that happens to us as we grow up. So when we're children, right, we are young, you know, we're asked what we want to do. And you can say anything. You can say that you want to be an NFL quarterback or you want to be on the International Space Station or you want to be in a band playing in in front of thousands of people or whatever it is selling out arenas. And everybody supports that, right? Your teachers, your parents, they're all telling you like, yes, you can do anything that you put your mind to. Like, that is awesome. But then something funny happens, which is one, the question persists. You know, as we get older, everybody keeps asking us what we want to be when we grow up, maybe in some slightly different wording. But the scope of acceptable answers narrows. And we are then told down the road, oh, you want to be a writer? Well, You can't really make a living doing that. Nobody gets paid doing that. You know, why don't you try something more realistic? And so that's happening. But at the same time, the people who are narrowing that scope of acceptable answers aren't really giving us the tools to understand what else is out there. So for example, I had no idea that you could be a partner manager at Microsoft, right? Like that wasn't a career that was ever taught to me. So I thought that if you wanted to work for one of these companies, these tech companies, you had to be a programmer, you had to have a computer science degree or be technical. And I only found out that that wasn't the case through my own exploration. So I went through this basically this period of time where I was just looking for everybody else's approval because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the things that I would bring up were essentially, you know, I was told that they weren't realistic or, you know, all this money wasn't wasn't being spent on college so that I could, you know, go get a degree that wasn't going to get me a job. So I, I settled on something that, you know, made everybody around me happy, which was becoming a doctor. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. We settle into, you know, these TV careers, if you will, doctor, lawyer, accountant, firefighter, you know, whatever else it is, the stuff that we see and we know and is familiar. And then you say, I want to be a doctor and you look around for other people's approval because that's what we do as humans. And, you know, parents are nodding and smiling and their friends are nodding and smiling and teachers are nodding and smiling. And so you say, okay, everybody seems to approve of this. So this must be my path. And that's a really dangerous trap to fall in because this is our life, right? And we should decide what we want to do and what we're excited about. And we shouldn't look to others for that. But unfortunately, that tends to be what happens. So I set my sights on being a doctor. And I get to college, I get to Wake Forest. And all that kind of gets blown up in the first semester when I I failed uh, chemistry 101, which is not the best start to becoming a doctor. So 
no surprise to me at the time, I was frustrated because I thought, well, I want to be a doctor. Why did, why did this not work? And my parents thought the same thing and everybody else thought the same thing. Now it's very clear because I didn't want to be a doctor. I just chose that because other people seem to approve of it. So I wasn't really doing what I was passionate about, even though I, I thought that's what I was doing at the time. And so I had to make a decision from there. Uh, I ended up failing a couple more classes and I had a really horrible GPA throughout my tenure at Wake. But I had to make a decision. And that decision was, do I try to explore and figure out you know, what else is out there for me? Or do I just kind of put it on cruise control and enjoy maybe the the more fun aspects, the social aspects of college? And so I, I definitely took that latter route. And I'm happy to go into more of that experience. I basically I didn't apply for any jobs when I was in college. I didn't interview at any companies. I had an internship essentially handed to me, which then turned into a job offer that I accepted sight unseen. Uh, and I essentially got slapped in the face by the real world when I graduated. And that was really when things started to shift. That was sort of the, the inflection point of my life that I would say uh, shortly after graduation day. So let's rewind just a teeny bit sure. because I'm curious, what was your passion that you didn't follow when you were at Wake? I didn't know. And I think that that's totally fine. I think we're, you know... A lot of pressure is placed on us as young people to know what you want to do. And that's really stressful. And I also think that that's unfair. So, and we could get into a whole discussion about how I think the, the education system is kind of geared towards not really allowing us to explore different things and, and figure that passion out. But I was always a tinkerer. And so in college, you know, I took this business course because I was a biology major, obviously, as you mentioned, but I wanted to understand all my friends are in business school. And I was like, what is business? Like, what is this thing that they talk about? And so I took this summer program. And after that, I wanted to start a company. And I thought I was big into fishing in college. And I still am, but it's kind of hard to do like fish in the Hudson are a little gross. So we, we avoid that now. <laughs> but I, I wanted to start a fishing apparel company. And so I kind of went down that road and, and that ended up falling flat on its face. But I also was very big into music. I played guitar for about six years. And I, I spent many, many hours every day listening to music, finding artists. So I actually started a, a blog where I shared some of the bands and the, the songs that I found. And that didn't really do anything. It didn't nobody visited the site or whatever. But these things were the foundation, right? I threw that website, I was I learned how to build a website. So when I started my business now, I, I knew how to do that myself. And then with the apparel business, I had to go find people who understood how to start a clothing company and freelancers and designers. And so I learned to work with them. And so by sort of just being curious and taking an idea and, and seeing, you know, what happens if we just try to start this? What happens if we take the first step and then the next step? By no means were any of those successful. But at the same time, they allowed me to develop skills that were very useful down the road. And honestly, one of my big regrets is not doing more of that. You know, in, in school, we have, we think we don't have a lot of time, which I totally understand. But I think we even just like an extra couple hours a week, three, four hours a week, like let me just, if I have an idea or I'm interested in something, let me go explore it further. I wish I had done more of that for sure. Love it. Love it. And for the record, Austin, Time for Coffee listeners, regular Time for Coffee listeners know that I think the whole idea, the whole school of thought to tell a college student to follow their passion is the biggest pile of BS. And I think you're doing more harm than good because most young people, most college students 
haven't identified a professional passion yet, or there may be breadcrumbs. And those breadcrumbs are in the way that they're spending or where they're spending their free time as you were. So let's go forward now. You mentioned you were hit in the face with the reality of the real world, and you accepted a job sight unseen in orthopedic sales with Johnson & Johnson. You were an orthopedic sales consultant. Mm, I was. What was that like? You made (laughs) about eight or nine months, so I know it wasn't a good fit. Definitely. And just just to double back on really quickly the way that the, the system is set up, I think one of the most frustrating parts about the education system is the way that failure is viewed. Because in the real world, like everybody who has graduated and becomes a professional kind of realizes that failures are the stepping stones to success, right? There's a lot of learnings in those failures. And then you look back on college and you think, well, man, if I failed a test, that was a recipe for anxiety, stress, uh, overwork, you know, overworking hours and studying and all that for an entire semester. It was a three month thing, right? And the worst thing you could ever do was get an F because you would have to go to the teacher's office hours and you'd have to explain it to your family and and your friends would be like, oh, we failed that test. Like, what's going on? And there was all this just massively negative stigma around failure. And I think we see the opposite in the real world. The people who are willing to take a chance knowing that, you know, sure, it might not work out and they might, quote, fail. But all that happens is something just didn't work out and you move on to the next thing. And and that's really where, you know, there's so many more lessons in failure than success. And this whole job search thing that that I've discovered and went through myself is based on that. But it's just really upsetting to me that students are forced to avoid failure at all costs. And also that success is literally, you know, memorizing things in a textbook and regurgitating them. We could talk about this for an entire you know, day, I think. So I don't want to sidetrack us, but I thought it was important to mention. Oh my God. Oh my God. Austin, I'm going to send you a post that I made a couple of months ago exactly on that point. Your grades only matter. Your GPA only matters if you want to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. What matters is that you're learning, that you're exploring and failure is the pathway, that is the process of discovering what you love and what you're good at. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And it's amazing because students, there's a lot of students, right? And so it can feel very competitive, but it's only competitive when you're playing the traditional game. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're a student and you are relying on a resume that's made with the same template that career services has given to a thousand other people in your graduating class, or you're relying on your internship, or you're relying on your GPA, you know, it can feel really tough. But the interesting thing is, if you take a step back, and you just look at that, there are other ways to add value that are actually much, much more effective than those criteria or those things. And so what I see a lot, actually, I'm I'm always fascinated by the students who are on LinkedIn who are creating content. And all of these students who I've connected with who, who are either creating content on LinkedIn or in some capacity, they have a podcast, they have a portfolio, they have a blog, whatever it is. I always see when internship season comes around, they're working at Slack, they're working at Google, they're working at Microsoft, they're working at like the world's best companies. And I think it's simply because they have gone and done this thing. They've actually started getting real world experience 
before they entered the real world, so to speak, whereas everybody else is playing in this same game of GPA, resume, internships. And so if you take a step outside of that and actually chase something that you're interested in and you build something and and you put it up on the internet for people to see, that's going to be really, really powerful. And you're almost, you're just going to transcend the pack and you're going to be playing in a different arena. And I think you're going to really see the benefits. So if people are considering, you know, getting an internship or what they should do to prepare themselves for a full-time offer, I think there's nothing better to do than start creating something that you're passionate about and make it available for people to see online. Amazing. I know because I've read I've read posts in which you've mentioned this, that one of the best pieces of career advice, and you've got a bunch, but one of the best pieces is to start a side hustle. Mm -hmm. Start a side hustle. The other is to only listen to people who are successful doing what you want to do. Absolutely. All right. So (laughs) (laughs) we should also tell our listeners that you graduated with like a 2.86. Is that right? 2.58. 2.58. That oh, I, w- I wish sorry. it would have been great. <laughs> okay. All right. So not exactly like super impressive GPA, mm-hmm. again, speaks That's to generous. how that doesn't matter. So there you are, new college grad. It's 2013. And you've got a job with J&J. What was it like? So the way that the job was set up was... Johnson & Johnson was the parent company, but they owned this company called Depew. And Depew has a specific setup where they have distributorships and each distributorship sort of operates as its own business. So I think J&J is actually a pretty good company to work for. I was like three steps removed from actually working at J&J. I worked essentially for an entrepreneur, if you will, this person who eventually was deemed to be worthy of running the territory or the distributorship. And something that you see a lot in the professional world is people who are great individual contributors are not always the best managers or the best people to run a business. And so this guy came in and and he did a great job of running the business. Don't get me wrong. They were making money and profits hand over foot. Not the best people manager, though. And so there were a couple of things going on with this job. First, we mentioned the sight unseen piece. So I just accepted the salary that was given to me. I didn't negotiate. I didn't think about cost of living or anything else. So I move into this apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina. And between my car payment and the insurance on the car and my rent, I'm basically eating up like 80 to 90% of my monthly earnings. So I barely had enough money to get by. And I ended up discovering the magic of credit cards. And I racked up about 15,000 bucks of credit card debt in the first couple of months out of school. So that wasn't great. But then on top of that, The job was really grueling. So essentially, surgeries happen at 6 in the morning. That's when they start. And if you are part of the team, you need to get there early. So people are typically arriving around 5.30 in the morning at these hospitals to get ready for surgery. But the thing for me is I was essentially the backup rep. So I was based in Charlotte. We covered North and South Carolina. There's a lot of miles in those states. So somebody would call me up maybe in, let's say, Asheville, North Carolina, which was two, two and a half hours away. They'd call me up the night before and say, hey, we need you tomorrow morning for cases. So I would have to wake up at you know, 2.33 in the morning to drive to Asheville and be there by 5.30 in order to make it and time for cases. And I was doing this six days a week. So I was basically waking up at 2.33 in the morning, Monday through Friday. And then on Sunday, I, would, I wouldn't have to get up early, but I would have to eat up my Sunday going to drive somewhere for cases the next day. So that was 
every single day. And that obviously was not a very fun work setup. But on top of it, the person that I reported into, my manager, just didn't treat me very well. He Nothing I did was good enough. He kept telling me, you know, I didn't have a future in this industry and, you know, I wasn't going to cut it. And so this combination of having debt, being sleep deprived and having somebody tell you that you're not good enough every day, it really, it wears on you. And so I started searching for a way out and I tried to find, I tried to make something happen quickly. So how did you pivot into an entirely different industry, which you did? As we mentioned, you studied biology, you went into sales. How did you get into marketing? Because you moved from Charlotte to North Carolina and started working in your next job as an account manager at RevTrax. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you get that job? Yeah, so there were a number of things that that happened, but really there was one book that was given to me by a friend. You may have heard of it. It's called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And at this point it's sort of become it, it, at that point, it was sort of it had this cult following. Now it's become very mainstream, and you know some people have different thoughts about it. But that book was really life changing for me because essentially in it, Tim says more or less two things that I took away from it, which were one, just because everybody is doing something or telling you to to do something doesn't mean it is the right or best way to do that thing. And then number two was we don't have to accept the situation that's given to us, we can create our own opportunities. And there's there's so many golden nuggets in there. But that sparked a couple of things in me. One, reading some of the case studies and reading what Tim had did, that really sparked my desire to be an entrepreneur. I didn't really want to work in corporate America or in a nine to five, I wanted to have my own thing. And that was my goal for a very long time. But then on top of that, I realized, you know, I'd been applying online to so many places, and I just wasn't hearing back from any of them. And I didn't know what to do. And then I read that book. And I said, well, everybody's telling me to do this, it's not working, you know, maybe there's a better way, maybe there's a way that people haven't discovered yet. And so reading that book was really a pivotal moment for me. Because once I learned that, at this point, I was a couple months into the job search. I had applied to about 250, 300 different companies, and I didn't hear anything back. So I took a step back and I said, all right, let me, let me write down the criteria for my dream job. And that was basically... I, I sat down and I thought about where I wanted to work. And so I think a lot of people struggle with where they want to go. That wasn't really the issue for me. And I've, I've coached a lot of people who do struggle with that. So we can talk about that if you'd like. But for me, I looked around and my goal was simple. It was, I want to be an entrepreneur who has an online business. So I might as well work in the field that gives me experience to do that, which is essentially tech and, and digital marketing and advertising. And on top of that, while I worked towards that goal, I eventually wanted, I wanted to get to a company where I could just say, I work here and everybody knew what that was. And everybody thought it was cool. I didn't want to have to explain the weird thing that our company did because I had to do that many times and it was annoying. So I set my sights on tech because at this time, I remember, you know, my friend sent me this app called Uber and he was like, dude, you got to check this out. It's super cool. And I looked at it and you could book like a black car from the airport to your house. And like that was it. And it was hundreds of dollars. And I was like, I could never afford this. This is not cool. Like this is cool. But like this is this is not for me. But obviously that had a lot of buzz at the time. And Facebook was really starting to hit its stride. And, and so it was sort of the golden age of tech. And I, I said... This is really cool. I like tech. I like the internet. I'm reading these books about creating online businesses. Like, let me explore this space. 
So I set my sights on Google, Microsoft, Twitter, places like that. And I basically jotted down my criteria. So it was to work for one of those companies was number one. Number two was to be living in a major city in New York, a San Francisco, in LA, something like that. I wanted to be making six figures a year. And I wanted to be able to work basically from wherever I wanted and whenever I wanted. I didn't want to be chained to a desk in an office from nine to five. So those were my criteria. And I basically went on LinkedIn and I found people who not only met those criteria, but also came from a non-traditional background. So I tried to find people who, let's say, worked at Google on their digital marketing you know, products who didn't come from a tech background or a marketing background. So I tried to find as many of those people as I could. And I talked to, I think, about 25 or 30 of them. And I just was a sponge. I asked them a million questions about their the strategies they used, how they handled these different conversations, what was one thing that they did that nobody else was doing, so on and so forth. And through those conversations, two things came out of it. One, there were very common threads. And then two, there were strategies that I could cherry pick and use myself. But basically, what it came down to was all of these people had two things in common. The first was they all got a referral into the job that they were currently in. They, they didn't necessarily apply online except outside of a formality. And then two, most of them had done what we just talked about before, which is they found a creative way to showcase their value. They had either some sort of portfolio online or some body of work that they could point to to say, this is the value that I bring. Like this eight and a half by 11 black and white sheet of paper called the resume doesn't do justice to who I am. Let me show you who I am. And so they created this body of work. And I took those two principles and I basically made it my mission to tear apart the hiring process, understand how it worked and leverage those two principles to make the transitions. Amazing. I also believe simultaneously to all of this, you were studying in whatever free time you had digital marketing, right? You were teaching yourself while you were working at the job you hated, how to do digital marketing. Mm hmm. Yeah. So that was basically the body of work piece, right? So I really invested heavily into two things. One was understanding how relationships works. Because one thing that I also learned from the four-hour work week was that anything is, is really learnable. Everything in life is a skill. And skills can be honed and practiced and improved. And a lot of us, we have these self-limiting beliefs where, you know, I'm an introvert or I'm not good at talking to people or I have social anxiety and I am an introvert and I uh, have social anxiety. And I knew that despite those things, if I wanted to get this job and I wanted to make these goals happen, I had to find a way to overcome that. And so I just dove into the science because I figured if I could have a playbook, if I could have, you know, these formulas that were rooted in data and research that I would feel a lot more comfortable with this stuff versus just trying to wing it. And so I spent a lot of time researching relationships. At the same time, I knew that I needed that body of work. And so I did exactly what you mentioned. I started by just taking courses on digital marketing. I started broad just to understand what was available to me in the field in terms of disciplines. I really enjoyed search engine optimization. And I really enjoyed content marketing. And I really enjoyed pay-per-click advertising is what it's called. But anyways, like Google ads or Facebook ads. And so I decided to focus in on the pay-per-click advertising and search engine optimization because those were the two things that you could really start making money from quickly. And so 
I started by just volunteering my services. So I went to these different businesses and I would do a competitive analysis for them. And I would say, look, your competitors are using these things and either you're not or they're beating you. So let me help you and I'll do it for free because I'm trying to gain more experience in this field. So there's really nothing for you to lose. You can quote fire me if it's not working out for you. And I did that a couple different times until I had some case studies where I could say, you know, hey, I've done this for these types of clients. And then I started charging and I just started small. It was the you know, 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month. And with every new client I took on, I would, I would increase my prices. And basically, I was getting paid to learn by these companies. And I think a, a big mental blocker, self-limiting belief that we have is, you know, who am I to do this? I'm not an expert. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat a dead horse here. But in the four-hour work week, uh, Tim mentions the definition of an expert is simply just knowing more than the audience that you're speaking to. And so a lot of the businesses that I targeted were small businesses that were founded by folks who weren't very tech savvy. They didn't really know how to do any of this marketing stuff. And so my I was a far cry from an expert in the space, but I knew more than they did. And they were getting a deal because they didn't have to pay the prices that they would normally have to pay. So that really worked in my favor. And I did that for several years, three, four years, I, I think, kept that business going. And that was the experience that I heavily relied on to land my jobs in, in New York, initially at RevTrax, as you mentioned, and then to go on to land at Microsoft as well. Specifically at Microsoft, the stuff that I did in my side hustle was hyper relevant to the role that I had at Microsoft. So that body of work, again, I didn't have to play in even in the real world, the pool of resumes and online applications, I could take a sidestep, I could build relationships with people at these companies who I, I didn't necessarily know at the time. And then I could leverage that body of work to say, hey, I, I might not have the on-paper experience, but let me show you the results that I've delivered in the real world. You know what this sounds like to me, Austin? It sounds like you were doing the equivalent of like a lab, what you would have done when you were back in school in biology. And I'm guessing that that's the part of what you were studying in school that really lit you up. Making a hypothesis and then testing it and iterating from there. It's funny you mentioned that because I got the F in chemistry, but I got an A in that chemistry lab. So you you are right on, Andrew. That that's I, I feel that that was good. That was good. So let's fast forward. As you said, from RevTrax, you then moved on to Tabula, which was another type of marketing firm promoting brands at the moments your audience is most receptive to new messages, products, and services. Very interesting. And then you got the job at Microsoft. What did that feel like when you got that job? Yes, it was a bit of a crazy experience. So I worked at RevTrax for about a year. And then I got the job at Taboola. And I immediately realized that this was not for me. And that made me more motivated to get in the door at these other places. So I started at Taboola in March of 2015. And I actually started interviewing with Google in, in April of 2015. So very shortly thereafter. But the Google process took an incredibly long time. It took about six months total from end to end for the entire interview process. And that was... It was a lot. And I faced a lot of these questions about not having enough experience despite going well above and beyond to demonstrate that I did have the experience specifically because all the freelancing I did was with their product, was with Google Ads. So I sort of felt like 
Google wasn't seeing the value in me. And they were more just kind of, I was so tenacious that they, I wouldn't let them go away because they were my dream company. And then I got the call from Microsoft originally over the summer and they had a role open and that ended up actually getting filled by an internal employee. But I kept in touch with the recruiter and I kept in touch with a couple of people that I spoken to at Microsoft. And that resulted in me getting in the door for the next role, which, which was actually the job that I got hired for. And then Twitter was in the mix here as well. But it was really interesting because I actually told my wife that I didn't want to interview at Microsoft because if I took a job at Microsoft, I would ruin my chances of working at Google. And she looked at me like I was crazy and she kind of shoved me back into the process, which you know I'm forever grateful for. But it was the best feeling. I remember we were coming home and the US Open was on and we had just gotten to the grocery store and I got a call and it was from the Microsoft recruiter. And she said, you know, we're going to make you an offer. It's non-negotiable. Here's the number. And it was literally 500% more than I had made out of college and double what I was making at my current company. And I was like writing the offer down on a piece of paper and my hands were shaking. And I hung up and and like I gave Lily my wife a big hug. And that was like probably the most like getting the job at Microsoft and marrying Lily were the two like biggest moments in my life. Oh, even more so I would say than jumping into this business full time. Like nothing would have happened without those two other things. So it it's it was the best best feeling in the world. It's gonna be tough to beat. That's really beautiful. <laughs> Just, I know you're a newlywed. You're still a newlywed. You've only been married a couple of years, two and a half years, something like that. Lily should be the best thing. She should always be the best she, thing. She is. She's number, <laughs> she's number one. Well, absolutely. Because none of this would have happened. So she's always with Microsoft. Like I just mentioned what she said about that and encouraging me there. And then with this business, I, I have a tendency to rush things, which has been good in the sense that if I see something that I want to do, I just I just take action on it. Like I don't really I don't sit making a 14 page business plan or something else. I just go do it and it either works or it doesn't. And that's great in a lot of cases, but sometimes it gets me into a lot of trouble as well. And so she has prevented me from making some bad decisions that would have been very costly with my business and, and with some of the stuff that I was trying to do. So uh, far and away, number one thing that's ever happened was us getting married. Our wedding day was was amazing. And then nothing else would have come to, to fruition without that happening. So that that's definitely it's like not even a question. That's the number one moment for sure. I'm just giving you shit, Austin. (laughs) (laughs) So in the background of all of this, right, you're testing, you're iterating, you land a dream job at Microsoft and your title is partner manager. Mm -hmm. When did you start connecting the dots and saying, holy shit, I have actually landed on something here? It's about the referrals. It's about strategically building up your network and then creating what you have coined the value validation projects to Mm -hmm. try to land your dream jobs at whatever companies they may be, which is what cultivated culture is all about. Yeah, no, absolutely. It happened very, very quickly. So I actually started cultivated culture about six months after... I landed at Microsoft. And the reason for that is, is that so many people came out of the woodwork, especially people from Wake. They found a way to reach me and they were like, Hey, aren't you the guy who had the terrible grades? You know, how are you working at Microsoft? And I just explained to them what I did. I told them that, you know, hey, 
I started applying online. It didn't work. So I started this new process where I just reached out to these people and I created this body of work and these value validation projects. And everybody had the same response. They all said, I never thought about that, but it makes so much sense. And that's something that I still hear a lot today in, in the feedback from people who are you know, on our email list or in the community. But when I heard that from the 20th person or whatever it was, I figured we might be onto something here. You know, All these people who went to a good school who are Many of them were working good jobs, but they wanted to get out of them. They're really smart people. You know, they have much better grades than I did. And they're telling me like, this makes a lot of sense, but I'd never thought about it. That was sort of a light bulb moment. So I did what I just talked about. I said, let's try to turn this into something. And I wrote a, a massive blog post on everything that I'd learned. And I'd spent a lot of time reading other people's content. I'd followed a lot of other people who were in this sort of online business and marketing space. I spent a lot of time, I would save articles I liked and I would read through them and I would make notes on what I liked and what I didn't. So I had a pretty good sense of how to write a good blog post just from doing those things. So I wrote this 3,000 to 5,000 word guide called How to Get a Job Anywhere with No Connections. And I put it on this blog. It was the only post on the site. And I ended up doing some promotion. I found all these other people in the career space who actually had an audience. And I emailed it to them. And I said, Hey, you know, here's a story about how I ended up at this, this job at Microsoft. Maybe it's valuable for your audience. And I ended up getting a bunch of them to share it with their audience. So we got a, a pretty big response, you know, far larger than I had ever expected. And all these people kept telling me the same thing, you know, wow, this makes so much sense. I'd never thought about it before. And so that was about six months in. The funny part is that I was terrified that Microsoft was going to tell me that I wasn't allowed to do this. So I actually did all this under a pen name with like, it was a fake name, I had a fake picture. And it actually took me about a year of doing this before I transferred it over to my real name. But yeah, I just started putting it out there and it got this great response. And ever since then, it's been the goal has been to teach people that same system that I learned as I was going through the job search. I'd love your thoughts on this, Austin, because you are so expert in this field. And because one of the many patterns that I've seen after interviewing hundreds of professionals just like you in dozens of different industries over the last several years, is that unless you want to be, you really want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, and even then, I don't think it's fixed in stone. I think it doesn't matter where you start your career. The first one, two, or even three jobs don't really matter. And so the whole idea that college students and their families, their parents are twisting themselves into knots thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do for my capital C career is wasted energy. It is wasted anxiety and mental stress. And instead, they should just take a deep breath and do something that interests them, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Because the open secret, I think, about career progressions is that it is super personal. You can't predict where it's going to lead you. You have to just do it. It's iterative. Definitely. I think it's really sort of this idea of your vibe attracts your tribe, if you will, or, or the law of attraction in, in the sense that what you put out there will come back to you. So if the thing that you want to do 
is, let's say, become a digital marketer at Google. Well, if you go and just start doing that, those opportunities will come to you. You know, if you want to be in film production, well, go start producing your own films and put them out there and those opportunities will will come to you. So I think it's it's just unfortunate because the way that the world is moving, especially in the last 10, 20 years, a lot of the jobs that many people listening to this are going to end up in, the folks that they're asking for advice from don't know those those jobs exist. So like my parents knew you could work at Microsoft, but they didn't know that you could work as, you know, an account manager for advertising. And my professors certainly didn't know that. And the people in career services didn't really know that. And so the problem is these jobs are new jobs are being created every day and new ways to create income and and make a living are, are being, you know, created every single day. And so the biggest thing that any of us can do is first explore, like, the biggest issue with passion is that people tend to think it's one, something that we're born with, it's innate. And that's certainly not true. I mean, you called it out earlier where I, I didn't major in career counseling, right? I, if you had asked me in college what I wanted to do, this would have, wouldn't have even been on my radar. And now me it's... either, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> As exactly. a poli-sci Asian studies and Chinese major, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And But why did that happen? Well, it's because we explored... And then what tends to happen is passion stems through action. So first, you need to explore. You need to take action on some things. And then what happens is first, you start to enjoy the process. So you're reading something. You're finding it interesting. It's motivating you to read more. And then when you start to put something out there, you start to take action, you get positive feedback. So people say to you, hey, this was really good or I really like this. And then that motivates you to read more and to get better. And so that's where the cycle of passion comes from. You know, for me, I start, I I post this article and then everybody says, this is really great. Tell me more about this other thing. So then I write that next article and then so on and so forth. And then it feels really good that I'm putting something out there and these people are saying, wow, I I really like this. So what I encourage people to do if if I work with somebody who's sort of lost or or not sure where they want to go, what I have them do is these, I call them 30 day mini pilots, where if you're interested in something I encourage you to set a goal that's realistic, but a bit of a stretch for 30 days. And basically, you dive in and you learn as much as you can. You commit to a daily practice and you try to achieve that goal in 30 days. And then you assess on day 31, you say, did I enjoy this or did I not? And if you didn't, you can give yourself permission to quit and move on to the next thing. But if you did enjoy it, you could spend the next 30 days going a little bit deeper. And so what that does is it allows us to make... There has to be a certain level of investment that we make before we understand whether or not we like something. It allows us to make that investment. But it also gives us permission to drop things that we don't like. Because I think one of the unfortunate parts about our society is that we're taught to like never quit. Like Winners never quit. And that's not true. Like Winners stop doing things all the time. They, they stop doing things that don't work. They stop doing things they don't like. They stop doing things that don't make them happy. And that's why they end up winning. And so we all need to adopt that mentality where just because you start something doesn't mean you you have to keep it forever. You can stop doing that thing. And so if you're hungry to explore, if you're passionate to explore, and you're willing to take action and give yourself permission to stop doing the things you don't like, that's really how you're going to figure out where you want to go. And then once you figure out this thing that you're excited about, if you just start creating, if you start putting things out into the world that are relevant to that discipline, you're going to attract people, you're going to attract opportunities, you're going to attract things that are relevant. And as that area evolves, 
so will your projects and so will the things that you do. But you don't have to necessarily know like this is the job title that I'll be working in in 10 years. You can just know I really want to be doing this type of thing. And if I put out content, if I put out information, if I put out work that is in that realm, those opportunities will be available to me no matter what they look like. Incredible. Fantastic advice. One other thing that I think is super important for us to get into, because as a startup entrepreneur myself, I know how taxing it is to do all of this, to Mm -hmm. put out valuable free content. And my other gig is full-time mom, but you had another gig working at Microsoft (laughs) while you were building your side hustle. And you weren't just putting out blog posts. You created some serious badass job tools to help people optimize their CVs, optimize their bullet points, search for phone numbers. How did you do that, Austin? And how did you manage your time while you had this full-time gig and you were building up the side hustle? Definitely. So I I think that the first thing to note is I've been doing, I don't think I've ever not had something on the side. This, This is very, leaving Microsoft and only having one thing to focus on is very new for me. So ever since I decided to make that pivot that we talked about out of Johnson & Johnson, I've always had multiple things, multiple projects going. So I guess I was used to that. But that's a, a space that I would encourage people to get to because a lot of folks are unhappy with their jobs in the sense that they feel like they're not learning everything they want to learn, or they're not on the projects that they want to be on or, or whatever it is. And if that's the case, that's what the rest of the time is for is it's to go work on those things that you're excited about. And so it really came down to creating the time. And before I met Lily, that typically was after work. So I would get home from my job. And then from whatever it was, 5 or 6 to 10pm, I would just work on the I would take these courses, I would work on these projects, I would do these things. And then after I met Lily, it it flip flopped a little. And and we started in the early days, four or five years ago, we started getting up at like 530 in the morning. And so I would just have this time from 530 to nine that was my own. And I could do whatever I wanted before I logged into my computer at work. And so I would try to get all or most of my stuff done in that period. And then I would get a little bit done in the evenings and on the weekends. But it's really about finding a couple of hours every day where you work on that thing that's yours. And then as it grows, you can leverage it. I mean, a lot of those tools and things like that, you know, I took my the money that I made at Microsoft and I would reinvest it into the cultivated culture business. And I was able to do that because I I had a setup that that allowed for it. So it's first about finding the time. And then second, it's about once you get to a point where this is possible, it's about understanding how you can use money to, to create more leverage. You can pay somebody else to do something that you might have done yourself, and therefore you free up that time for whatever it is that you need, but the, the the work is still getting done. So what's next? Oh, we're just I mean, we're just getting started. So we're two months into two and a half months into to full time here. And I, I just think that the biggest goals this year are to just get more content out there. So obviously, you mentioned we started the podcast. That's a big focus for us. We're going to try to see if we can get some more free tools out there for folks. But the biggest thing is going to be getting some more content out there in, in the hands of people. Because I, again, as, as you mentioned too, I'm a big fan of giving away as much value as I can. I, I give away like 98, 99% of my material for free. And then if people want to work with me or whatever it is, that, that option is always there too. But 
uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's there's a lot more space to get creative and and help job seekers now that I only have one thing to focus on. So, and I'm also looking forward to taking some of that time and like reading a book for fun again. I haven't done that in a very long time, so I'm excited for that as well. Well, good because I've sent you a book that I hope you will enjoy because Amazing. I I heard that you see yourself as an introvert. And in fact, the book, it's an amazing book that I read recently called Personality Isn't Permanent by Ooh, I like that. Benjamin Hardy. Oh, yeah. I know Benjamin. Yep. Okay. And you will see that he makes the case, and I think it's a very compelling one, that we can change whoever we are. We can grow and become different people, not just with different skill sets, but with different personalities. And I actually think you've been pushing yourself outside your comfort zone so much as somebody who is an introvert that I'll bet your comfort area has expanded. Absolutely. But that that also, you know, I also need my time to recharge my batteries as well. So it's it's about finding that balance and being in tune. I wrote a post about it on LinkedIn, but really understanding like how you feel as you do these things outside of your comfort zone and making sure that you have the time to recharge in between is is really important. So yes, the comfort zone has absolutely expanded. And it's also gotten me more comfortable with stepping outside of my comfort zone. And that's a great place to be. But at the same time, I have to be very careful to not do that too much. Otherwise, I've done that in the past. And there's a lot of stress and anxiety and stuff that comes with it. So it's important to keep the balance. Totally. Final T4C question, Austin. If you could go back to college, back to Wake, and do it all over again, but based on the immense wisdom you have right now, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, I do two things. First, I would major in psychology instead of biology because one, psychology is is fascinating, but it basically powers everything that's going on in the in the world today in terms of anything professional. If you understand how the person that you're trying to engage with, how their mind works and how they're making decisions, you give yourself a big advantage. So if you're a candidate in an interview and you know how your interviewer is thinking about this, that's an advantage. If you're trying to sell a product and you understand how your prospect is thinking about it, that's an advantage. If you want a promotion and you know how the decision maker is thinking, again, that's an advantage. So that is something that that I would definitely switch. And then the second thing would be exactly what we talked about before. I would invest more time creating these projects outside of my classes. And I would do some exploration first. I would figure out what I'm excited about or at least interested in. And then I would try to create a body of work around that. I would try to create some content. I would make it you know, publicly available. And I think if I did those two things, I would have saved myself a lot of trouble. And I think it will really help people stand out from everybody else who's kind of going through the, the traditional motions. Austin is the founder of Cultivated Culture his amazing podcast, which is anywhere between five and 15 minutes long. Each episode is called The Dream Job System. It is excellent. I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. I wish you nothing but continued success and fulfillment as you go forward and breathing life into the next phase of your professional journey. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It was a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and, and sticking with us for an hour. I, I really means a lot. And if I can be helpful to anybody, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or there's a contact form on our site. I'm always around and happy to help. But thank you again. 
Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.